Kia ora, I'm Karen O'Leary and this is Full Disclosure. We're going to talk to politicians, builders, actors, writers and media personalities to find out how coming out was for them. This podcast is bursting with pride to be supporting Rainbow Youth. Today I'm at the Beehive with the Honourable Grant Robertson. He has been the Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand and the Minister of a heap of things, including the Minister of Finance. When I was set to tell my parents I was in my second year at university and I, I sort of built up the courage to mm. do it. And then I got a phone call from my mother on I think about the Thursday of that week saying that she really needed to come and see me and she told me that my dad had just been arrested. My dad was subsequently sent to prison. And I kind of felt that maybe Sunday dinner didn't need me coming out on top of that. Were you the first gay Deputy Prime Minister in the world? I'm thinking I'm going to claim that. We might maybe have someone in Ireland. Pretty much it's it's a bit of a rarity, I think. Would you be so kind as to tell us where and who you live with? So yes, I live in uh, Wilton and I live there with Alf, who's my partner of 24 years. And um, from time to time we've had his two stepchildren live with us and they have now given us four amazing mokopuna, um, all girls, yep. and they come and stay from time to time. So it's a nice, nice little whānau group. Oh, it sounds lovely. Tell me about your growing up, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so I... Um, I was born in Palmerston North, but after about 16 months, the apocryphal family story is that I said to mum, get me out of here. (laughs) And we moved to Hastings and we were there for a few years. My dad worked in banking and then we came down to Dunedin. um, So my father could train to be a Presbyterian minister. So he had kind of a mid-30s life crisis and said, I want to be a Presbyterian minister. My father's family were involved in the Presbyterian church. And so he became a student and life um, changed quite a bit for all of us there. And yeah, that was where from then on, I basically grew up in Dunedin and I considered Dunedin to be home. And yeah, I went through school there and university and left there when I was in my early to mid-twenties. So were you a scarfy? I was, yes. How many couches did you burn? No, not too many, because I, I eventually became the student president. Which is not surprising considering the job you now have. Yeah, kind of try to be responsible, although yeah. there's plenty of people who, who knew me and didn't even know if they were listening to this podcast would argue Low rubbish. That, that possibly isn't true. <laughs> so growing up, when was, do you think was the first time that you had an inkling that, hmm, maybe I'm actually attracted to men, not to women? Yeah, I think it was in my teenage years. Sometimes when I think back on this, I I feel almost embarrassed about it. But I think, you know, I certainly recognised in my mid-teens that I was had feelings for guys. But I did that, it must be a phase thing. Or maybe everyone's like this. And then eventually it changes to this so-called normal thing that I've heard about. Um, And so I did go through quite a bit of that. I also did something which I know a lot of other people did too, where I went through a period of putting it in a box and putting it in the cupboard and not thinking about it. So I became the head boy of my um, high school. And I just kind of decided that for that period, I wasn't really going to think about this. And I girlfriend, you know, did that for a year or so there, and then realised that that really, really was not me in any way. And in fact, was quite negative for my mental health. You know, at the end of high school, it was like, this is ridiculous. I'm definitely gay. I need to get on with my life. And was it at that point that you came out, or did you sort of sit with that knowledge? Yeah, so sort of progressively through high school, telling friends, Mm. and then at the end of high school thinking, yep, you know what, 
this is this is what I've got to do. Um, it took me a while to come out to my parents, which I think is what most people almost think of as coming out, is when you do yeah. tell your parents. Yeah. And I had a bit of a false start with that, because when I was set to tell my parents I was in my second year at university, and I, I sort of built up the courage to mm. do it. And I used to go home and have dinner every now and then. I was flatting in Dunedin. And I'd organised to go home and have dinner one particular weekend. And then I got a phone call from my mother on, I think, about the Thursday of that week, saying that she really needed to come and see me. And she drove down to my flat, and she told me that my dad had just been arrested um, for theft as a servant. From He was an accountant working for a law firm. And unknown to me or mum or anyone, he had been stealing money from the firm he worked for over a number right. of years. And, you know, that was a massive life shock. My dad was subsequently sent to prison. And I kind of felt that maybe Sunday dinner didn't need me coming out on top of that. I think see, maybe that was a wise call. I thought call. it was a reasonable <laughs> call, eh, just to yeah, hold that back. Yeah, by the way, Mum. <laughs> yeah. Look, I know got you've got some, something important <laughs> yeah, going yeah. on. I pushed back on that and, uh, you know, went back to just keeping that to myself for a little while. Mm. But it wasn't too long before the time could come for me to tell mum especially so I um, went and told um, mum while dad was in prison yep. I thought that then was a good time yeah. to do that and then obviously I didn't actually tell dad until he got out of prison and unfortunately he met somebody who knew that I was gay and he actually got quite upset with me for not having told him right, yep. I think in the end he probably understood why it had happened the way it had. Yeah, and was the fact that he was a Presbyterian minister an issue or not at all? Well, see, that's a little bit of the story we skipped over. But right. um, so Dad never actually became a Presbyterian minister. After we'd been in Dunedin for a few couple of years while he was training, he actually had an affair and in the end had to leave the right. training college because of that. So he'd gone back to work as an accountant. Mum was always a more liberal force in our household than Dad yep. was. But actually, in Dad's later life, lots of things happened to him, including going to prison mm. and meeting lots of people from different walks of life. Yeah. And he became sort of more liberal as he went on in his life and passed away in 2009. But he was so supportive of me and Alf. He absolutely adored Alf. And in the end, like a lot of parents, I think, having kind of adjusted to me being gay, his main em emotion was just wanting me to be happy yeah. and settled. And when yeah. he saw me with a partner, he was just so delighted. Yeah. And So, yeah, he kind of went on this journey where for himself where he had had that more slightly conservative outlook mm. on life, but certainly, you know, by the time he died, I would class him as a very liberal person. Yeah. And quite often it's the other way around. It is, yeah. I've been so trying to... A bit of an opposite journey. Yeah, really, I keep but... asking my dad, why are you getting more and more conservative, Dad? You know? <laughs> it does I mean, happen. It does happen, doesn't it? And how did your mum take then? Really well, like a lot of mums at that point in life, so we're talking 1991, her first thing was worrying about getting AIDS. Oh, yes. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was still that time frame and, and so on. And she was great. She was incredibly supportive. And like a lot of mums, she kind of knew, you know, like she... They always the do, don't they? They do, yeah. mums. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah, you know, she sort of said, yeah, I thought that might have been the mm. case, but... You know, obviously wasn't pushing me to know. And so she was great and she was amazing um, and has always been incredibly supportive. So your parents, generally speaking, sounds like a, a pretty good response. What about when the people around you at school found out? Yeah, that was tricky. Um, mm. I went to a single-sex boys' right. school. Yeah. In the sort of year or so prior to that, I was coming to terms 
a bit more with who I was and telling one or two of my friends, but not all of them. And it, it sort of had built up a bit where there was quite a lot of people talking about it, about me. And it kind of reached its nadir when one night I wasn't invited to a party, which is the greatest crime in teenage oh, life. Yeah. I've not been invited to a party that I knew was on. And so I bought myself a bottle of gin and drank it while I was walking to the party. There's actually a note written on the doorstep that said something like no fags or something oh. like that. And anyway, I basically burst into the into the party and I don't actually remember anything pretty much after that but um, apparently I had my say threw up all over myself losing a little credibility from the strident point I did yeah. back in no doubt um, yeah and it was a really awful and kind of unfortunate incident in my life but actually when I think about it now looking back on it you know it was it was part of kind of some quite kind of dangerous alcohol related behaviour that I was doing at that time but yeah it, the irony is that the people, many of the people who were at that party are still my friends today and are some of my best friends today. And they too were young and didn't really know what they were even saying, you know. Yeah. And so it was, it was quite sort of traumatic, but that kind of partly led to me putting things in the box for a little while. And I'm clearly not in a place where I'm handling this very well. And so I kind of made friends with a few people outside of my school group who either were gay or gay friendly yep. and so I almost had these two Separate lives groups. for a couple mm. of years while I did dealt with that but I'm, I'm not alone and, and I think in a lot of people really struggling with dealing with that and, and doing stuff that was pretty dangerous to my health. Yeah absolutely. Do you think as well thinking obviously it was the 90s when 80s and 90s 80s and 90s what do you think the differences are compared to now? Yeah it's, it's really interesting and you probably do this a bit too talking to young queer people mm. that there is more similarities than you'd like to think you know it's still tough it's still tough if you live in a rural or provincial town it's tough if you're trans lesbian or gay or bisexual um parental reaction can still be really difficult judgment by peers still exists yeah schools can still be really tough environments so there's actually more similarities than you'd think i think the differences come with more role models more attempts by authority to be more accepting and inclusive in what we do the internet and so i think the internet's both a blessing and a curse in that regard yes. but it certainly allows you to reach out and understand and see more of things you know i can see now there's a lot more of positive stuff as well yeah. as some of the negative stuff that exists yeah because i remember you had to really go searching for yeah. you had to go to ro video basically <laughs> because you knew they had a gay and lesbian section you know and you'd get your vhs out and you'd be happy days If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, you've got a pretty public job. How have you found the response to sexuality in regards to being in the public eye? Overwhelmingly fine and positive. Mm. And I sometimes think that is because I'm carrying around a couple of other privileges with me. Being a sort of white male, you know, I get, I get a bit of yeah. a pass, I think. But, you know, by and large... When I ran for parliament, I was 
out. I've been on the political stage for 15 odd years now, so people have kind of got used to me. For the most part, it's not an issue. In the darkest recesses of the vileness that is right wing Twitter, awful things mm. that get said, and that's flowing a little bit into real life. But that's a very small minority, mm. and I have to remind myself of that. We all focus mm. a little bit on the negative when that is put in our faces. But for me, it's, yeah, I, I by and large, not an issue. Just like I said before, every now and then somebody making an assumption about who a partner might be yeah. or whatever. But other than other than that, I think I'm pretty I'm pretty fortunate. It's interesting, isn't it, when you, you know, every time I get a phone call to a call centre and I say I've got a partner, they always like, and what is his name? Uh, yeah, and yeah. it's just like, just... What are their name? Just use the word there. It's <laughs> yeah, not that it's hard. Not you that know, language is quite, name. you know, yeah. yeah. Um, so would you have any advice to any other someone else feeling worried about being open with their sexuality? I am a firm believer in giving people their own ability to decide when's the right Absolutely. time for them to talk about who mm. they are. And I think that's something we've got to respect for people. It, it comes at so many different times. But my advice would be being authentic and being true to yourself is never a bad thing. I take that advice on board. <laughs> I think I try to do that most of the time. <laughs> What's your view on the stigma that still exists in Aotearoa against queer and bisexual people? Yeah, look, I do think it exists. For young people, I think there are lots of ways in which it exists. I have a real aversion to the word tolerance because mm. I think it sounds like you're putting up with somebody. We're going to tolerate you. And so what I'm on a journey for is around embracing and accepting yes. and understanding that this is actually what makes us great, is having mm. all this great diversity of people's sexuality and identities and, and how they view themselves and how they view each other. It's all really great. And so for me, I want to get way past the stigma to the other side of that journey. But we have to acknowledge that it exists. The growth of evangelical churches has always worried me in that regard. It's a little bit frightening to it, me. It is. <laughs> Do you know what? They're actually diminishing in their numbers. So Brian Tamaki's church is actually smaller than it was a few years ago. And so we don't want to give them too much power, but they exert power and very visible and very vocal. They're like any bully, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we need to bring them down to size. And so we can't allow stigmatisation. That's one thing. And mm. then the second bit is that watching the journey for the trans community, mm. I see so much of what was thrown at the gay and lesbian community a generation back. And that's the stigma bit that I'm really probably focused on the most at mm. the moment. I feel like I'm hearing things that we shouldn't accept and we should stand up to. You defend one another. You don't let old people yes. away with lazy kind of transphobia, homophobia that, that just mm. fits into everyday world. You celebrate the difference. You, you identify yourself with people. I've got the job, among others, of saying, well, is there anything legally we should mm. be doing here? And there's a quite big discussion going on about how we deal with gender identities within the human rights framework. I've been around so long. I remember when Georgina Bayer was here and yes. I was a staff member and she had a private member's bill to include within the Human Rights Act one of the grounds that you can't discriminate on being gender identity. And at the time, the Human Rights Commission said, oh, you don't need that because you can cover it via sexuality. Well, of course, we know with a lens 15, 16 yes. years later that gender identity and sexuality are different, different things. So there's a bit of talk now, well, let's get back in and let's change that Human Rights Act so it's really, really clear about what we're doing. It's just like anything. It's a cause 
we advocate, we come together, we listen to the trans community so they lead us and we, we do what we can is what a rainbow community should do, which is support each other. Absolutely. That's so how we've got where we've got to, you know, for us, or the, the homosexual law reform campaign, the lesbians did all the hard work, everybody knows that. It's always the way, though, isn't it? Sorry, sort of, apologies no, no, to the gay men who no, were leading no. it, but, you know, it was a joint campaign and yeah. we've just got to take that spirit into the future, I reckon. Absolutely. If you could give young gay Grant one piece of advice, or a couple if you want to. I mean, you, you seem like you've got quite a lot of advice to give, so as much advice as you want to give your young, young self, Grant. yeah, young gay Grant. It'll be okay, is mm. the most important advice, because there were a few times when young gay Grant didn't think it would be okay. That is really hard to hear, I think, when you're a teenager sometimes, because it's everything that's in front yeah. of you, and it is. But it will be okay, would be the best piece of advice. The other is, actually, do go to the gym. <laughs> 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 don't just talk about it with your mates and then not do it. I kind of always slightly hesitate to give advice, even to myself as a younger person, because everyone's got to go through their yeah. experience of it. But yeah, ultimately, you know, my one of my, my favourite political quotes is from a guy named Harvey Milk, who was the mm. first ever gay um, sort of councillor, effectively, in America, and he got assassinated. Um, but his message he always says was, you've got to give him hope. And that's what I think our job is, looking back to either ourselves in the past or future generations, is you've just got to give people hope that, you know, and, and he's got the further part of the quote, is he says, you've got to give them hope. And even though you can't live on hope alone, without hope, life's not worth living. So my job is to say it's going to be okay because I want to give younger Grant hope. That's great advice. And the gym one too. And the yeah, which <laughs> I wish I'd taken. <laughs> Well, Grant, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and some amazing pearls of wisdom. Obviously, your time is pretty precious, so I really appreciate you coming to chat to me. Oh, no, me coming to chat to you, but you've given me the time to do it. All of the above. It's a pleasure. Okay, thank you. Cheers. This was Full Disclosure. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was created by Kate Langdon and produced by Kate Langdon and Mark E. Hire, with audio mixed by Jess Valor and original music by Eilish Wilson. Hey, Chris. Yes. Do you want another very broad question? I've got a very broad question today. Go on, then. What do you know about sports? Up the wires, go the Black Caps, and don't forget Premier League football. Oh, you do love a bit of Premier League footage, do. don't you? What team is it that you support again? Oh, the current champions, Manchester City. I think they're pronounced Arsenal. It's pronounced Arsenal. Uh, but you know what's good about football? Yeah, what? They don't regulate soccer. I'm sorry? There's a sport that regulates soccer? Indeed there is, and it's cycling. That's very strange. Why on earth do they regulate it? Well, I know, but if you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the Big Stuff Quiz, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Oh, that's a cliffhanger indeed. The Big Stuff Quiz is brought to you by Melbourne Every Bit Different. Listener.